If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Okay, right for real this time. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are delighted to have with us as our guest preacher, the Reverend Britt Bowlerjack. Reverend Bowlerjack is currently the college and community pastor for OKC First Church of the Nazarene. She is passionate about her husband, Aaron, and their baby, Shiloh, her chickens, and the planet. This summer, she will be headed to Heirloom East Bay Farm Church in San Francisco, California. She is currently working on her doctorate in land, food, and faith formation through Memphis Theological Seminary. For the work and ministry of Reverend Britt Bullerjack and her presence with us today, let the people say, thanks be to God. And let's give her a warm Mayflower welcome. Will you pray with me? We have one job, Holy One, one job. In the beginning, you gave us a single assignment. We were put in the garden to till and to keep it, which is another way of saying look after, guard, and protect. Instead, we have given the earth a fever. In some places, we have caused its skin to dry and crack. In others, the trees are drowning and animals have been made homeless. We have acted as if we are the only things that live here, taking more than what we need and not leaving anything for anyone else. We have forgotten, as the hymn says, that we cannot own the sunlit sky, the moon, the wildflowers growing. None of it is ours. It is yours. We know that from scripture. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. We are told by the prophets, but we, we have turned everything into a commodity. We have made it so that everything can be turned into a dollar, which means nothing is safe. Forgive us, Holy One, for falling down on the job. Remind us that we are made in your image so we know that we have it in us to heal 
to create, to guard, and to protect. Perhaps if we spent more time playing in the dirt, maybe if we made it a point to breathe unconditioned air and feel the grass between our toes, then we would be more resolved to turn our swords into plowshares and get back to our one job. At the very least, there would be less fighting. Creation is counting on us, so with our work gloves on, we pray. Amen. Reverend Bowler Jack. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. Hear these words from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. In my tradition we say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Thanks. Humoring me a little bit. I appreciate that. So, as you may have noticed, I am Reverend Britt Buller Jack, um, and I am so grateful that my friend Lori asked me to be here with you this morning. Um, as you recognize, Earth Day Sunday, a tradition that has been around since 1970, and which over a billion people celebrated yesterday with protests and celebrations and service projects. I am currently serving at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene, ministering to college students and young adults. And we are your partners in good trouble just down the road from here. And you might be wondering, why is a college pastor here on Earth Day? Um, well, it just so happens that I'm pretty passionate about creation or creation care, nature, the environment, climate change, what have you. I first learned to love creation when I was climbing trees in our neighborhood in Seattle as a child. They were big and tall and straight, and I could feel so strong when I got to the top. 
When we moved from Seattle to Oklahoma in a time of upheaval in our family, we settled in with my grandparents, and their house had a tree in the backyard. And it was not tall, and it was not straight, but it was sprawling, and the bark was smooth, and it quickly became my best friend. It had these funky little seed pods in the fall, and I had so much fun opening them up to pelt things at people. I distinctly remember about a year into living in Tulsa. We went there to visit my grandparents, and I ran through the house, and I barely said, hi, Grandma, hi, Grandpa, and got out the back door before anyone could stop me. And there was a stump. I recall sitting on that stump as a little girl, crying and crying. And my dad came out to console me. They didn't know how much the tree had meant to me. And it was attracting ants and other creatures. And, um, you know, as a kid, I didn't really understand. But it was in that moment that I knew at eight years old, I would never want to harm a tree. I would never want to do what adults did to my friend. I made up my mind in that moment to be a lover of nature and not a destroyer. Fast forward to 2008, and I watched a documentary you might have seen called An Inconvenient Truth. I found the documentary pretty convincing in spite of myself and everything I had been taught up to that moment. But I knew when I finished it that if climate change was real and creation was created by creator, then surely I too must care. My husband, Aaron, and I got married actually not long after that, and we did all we could to do right by the planet. In 2015, we decided to experiment with how small we could make our carbon footprints and moved into a 29-foot Airstream International. It was about 204 square feet, and honestly, at first, it was plenty of room. Um, the first two years, it was my favorite thing in the whole world. I took so many photos in that place, and we have so many good memories of Christmases and cinnamon rolls. Um, but eventually, it just wasn't quite big enough for two people. I don't know if you can imagine living in a bathroom for two years, but that's about probably what it felt like. <laughs> so we decided we would find a house, and immediately we thought we would share it, because that's what makes these things more sustainable for the planet. So eventually we found a house and five other young adults, and through sharing a singular home, we collectively keep our footprint small. Moving into our own home gave us the opportunity to garden and expand our flock of chickens and start composting our food waste. And finally, in January of 2018, I challenged myself to produce as little trash as possible for 30 days. I did so many weird things that month. <sighs> I squeezed my own orange juice and composted the peels. That was great. Um, I squeezed my own almond milk and composted the almonds, which was disgusting, and I will never do it again in my entire life. <laughs> I started bringing my own to-go containers when we went out to eat, and actually that became my favorite part. I created a crate that fit perfectly in my car, and it held all the reusable things that I might need to avoid trash when out and about, like refillable cups, metal straws, cutlery, canvas bags, you name it. Armed with my car crates, I could get out of almost any situation without producing trash. But of course I did produce trash. 
Starbucks wrappers, gift cards, lots of produce stickers, receipts, even some chocolate wrappers because who can resist chocolate? At the end of the 30-day challenge, I had produced about one Walmart-sized bag of trash that just weighed a couple of pounds. It was far less than the 4.2 average pounds an American produces in a typical day. But the lessons that my zero waste challenge taught me have stuck with me much longer than the trash itself. In the summer of 2021, I started my doctorate in land, food, and faith formation from Memphis Theological Seminary. I wanted so badly to bring my whole self to pastoring, and for me that meant trying to fuse my care for creation and specifically climate change um, action with my love of people and faith. Which brings me to today. There are so many passages that we could talk about. Um, because the earth is mentioned well over 750 times in scripture, not to mention all the occurrences of creatures, crops, skies, water, etc. Scripture is full to the brim with creation and nature, almost as if it is a character in and of itself. But I decided to focus on one Old and one New Testament moment just to give you a full picture of how I view creation in scripture. And we'll start in Genesis 9. You're welcome to open your Bible or your phone if you have it. We'll be in Genesis 9, 8 through 17. And you might be familiar with this story. Um, there's a large boat and a big flood. And um, Noah brings all the animals on two by two. Um, and they are working through survival together for quite a long time. Until eventually the waters recede. And there's a rainbow in the sky. And God says to Noah in verse 9, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. <clears throat> and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all of life on the earth. I love this passage because creation is not on the sidelines. It is inextricable, inseparable from who we are and who God is and who we are in relationship with God. We're not talking about the abstract environment as if any of us could actually be separated from it. No, no. This origin story proclaims that creation is a character we are forever in covenant with that plays a prominent role even if we overlook it. Another passage that I love that speaks to this covenant relationship in practice is Mark 1, 
which I read earlier, and I'll read again here in a second. In Mark 1, John is living in creation. Jesus goes out into creation to be baptized. Jesus goes out into creation to be renewed. In fact, the Greek word for wilderness appears in this chapter nine times. Unfortunately, often not translated wilderness. With our modern sensibilities, a few of the renderings might say lonely places or perhaps solitary places to pray. And I'll read that for us again. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out with him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. He wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. The irony in Mark 1 is that solitary places are not solitary at all. Even Mark points out in verse 13 that Jesus spent time with animals and angels there. To think of this as alone time is perhaps silly or anthropomorphic. What if wildness, wilderness, nature, creation began and continues as main characters in the story of our existence and our faith, and we've relegated her to the sidelines. My husband and I enjoy camping, and we have a little spot in Colorado that we go to often. And I remember very distinctly on the paperwork it being marked as a vacant lot. The first night that we stayed there, we saw jackrabbits at dusk, antelope, anthills the size of my face, and then about 2 a.m., a tiny baby coyote woke us up with a little Isn't it amazing, the arrogance of humans, to think that we are all that matters? For Noah, for Mark, for God, for John, for Jesus, creation plays a prominent role, even when we overlook it. What might it mean for us to reclaim nature, creation, as a main character in the story of our faith? A creation that is full, beautiful, awe-inspiring, but also wounded, hurting, oppressed? As more and more people around me have begun to care for creation like a friend, they often say, I know I should be doing more for the planet, but I don't even know where to start. 
And I have for years answered things like, well, tell me what you're doing now and we can work from there. Or it's complicated. Or I know it's overwhelming. <sighs> because what I often felt like people were asking was, how can I help save the planet? And indeed, it's a big, overwhelming, complicated question. So as part of my research for my doctoral thesis, I decided to drill down and find that one thing, the one thing that I could recommend to each and every person who came to me. But first we had to define a goal. What are we hoping with this save the planet business anyway? But that's a pretty easy one. In the research, the collective goal has been coined drawdown by scientists. Drawdown is the point in the future when levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere stop climbing and begin to steadily decline, thereby curving the effects of catastrophic climate change. So I decided if that was the goal, maybe there might be one way to get there. But as I began to research, the results were nothing like what I was expecting. I was expecting the most important place to start would be reducing waste, saving water, convincing the unconvinced about the climate crisis, etc. You might recall that Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied with not one, but two. In a similar fashion, after months of, organ of agonizing over the research, I dug up what was two. And if you've ever wondered what you could be doing to help this main character in our faith story, I'm gonna give you the secret sauce. Number one, you must fall in love with creation. And number two, you must talk about the crisis that she's in. Now, I'll be the first to admit when these surfaced in my research, I was disappointed. These are not flashy, these are not exciting, they do not sound like powerful solutions to a complicated, overwhelming crisis. <laughs> And yet, they keep coming up over and over and over. First, we must fall in love. We must reclaim the theologically central character of creation in our own lives. Go out into the wilderness, even if it's your backyard. Keep our promise as covenant partners. And why do these things matter? Because what I discovered in my searching was that you cannot save what you do not love. With love as the foundation, no, without love as the foundation, no relationship can thrive. Interestingly, the research also indicates that your love, my love, for creation must be granular. It is very difficult, in fact, to fall in love with a planet or an entire environment, perhaps even impossible. Um, if you'll permit me a moment of nerdiness, um, have you ever seen Win a Date with Tad Hamilton? No, uh, yeah, okay, great. Um, there's a main character, Rosalie, and she tells Tad that why he might while he might love the idea of her, he cannot possibly be in love with her since they basically just met. He doesn't know her well enough. And she tells him this, you don't love me. You maybe want to love me, but I think what you love right now is the idea of me. You can't love someone for what they stand for or what they seem to be. You have to love them for their details, the little things that are true of them and only them. And this is where the research led me. We don't fall in love with a globe. We fall in love with a specific other that we find meaning in, a creature, a dog, a cat, a tree in our front yard, 
the way the water drains down our street, that's what we must carry, the love that inspires us to save them. And that's step one. And step two is talk about it. Most of us, even the climate convinced, spend hardly any time talking about climate change or the environment. One study found that two-thirds of climate-convinced Americans reported having zero conversations in one year about it. Maybe you find yourself in this boat, caring but not conversing, and you might ask yourself why. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you're nervous about receiving pushback from another or sounding like you don't know what you're talking about. The possibilities are endless, but I want you to know you're not alone. And if you're hearing this and thinking, oh, I can't talk to Jan about the planets, they will disown me. Um, well, I have good news. Um, according to scientists like Catherine Hayhoe, um, the most effective conversations we can have are with those who do not need convincing, who are already aware that there is a crisis. Don't get me wrong, you can totally try to convert your Uncle Jim at Thanksgiving if you want to, but... <laughs> The truth is that the conversations that birth movements and solutions and inspiration are almost always the ones we have with people who already care. The vast majority of climate solutions that have or will be implemented began with a conversation. The more we have these earthy conversations, the faster we can save what we love. The goal is not to argue, but to find things we have in common with others regarding nature and creation and inspire each other to action. Now you maybe like me think, oh, but surely this is not enough. Surely falling in love and talking about it are not all there is. Maybe you're disappointed in the lack of action steps on a list like this, but I can assure you after months of study and careful consideration, I have discovered that these are the two foundations on which everything else must stand. We must cultivate our relationship with creation as a covenant partner who is part of our faith story and bring up her suffering as often as we can. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.